Welcome to this message from Shofar Christian Church. May you experience God's grace as you listen to this word being preached. Okay, so uh, for those of you who don't know me, my name's Eni Swart. Um, and that's, oh, that's a picture, if you can just go back to the previous slide, of, of my family. Um, my wife is the coffee, I'm the milk, and we made three nice little cappuccinos. Both my wife and I like coffee every morning. We make cappuccino. So, uh, and um, this morning, I, uh, we're just starting a new series where we're going to just talk about Christian in the city, how to be a Christian in the city. And I want to talk to you this morning about money and giving, a topic that we don't talk about often um, and that I realize actually we don't talk about often enough. Now, I just want you to think how, how I, when, when I mention this topic of money and giving, how, do you, how does it make you feel? Some, some of us, uh, maybe even many of us, there, there might be a little bit of discomfort. Like, should we really talk about money at, at church, you know? Isn't that a bit, you know, uh, some of us might feel that, that little bit of discomfort. Or, um, you know, in, in South Africa, um, <clears throat> you know, it's... Uh, you know, some people will even become angry and say, you know, many people, you know, when, when, when you ask them, you know, why, why don't you come to church? Why are you not a Christian? They'll say, no, you, you know, the church just wants your money. You know, so, so there's, there's this idea that, that money and faith and Christianity and so on should be, should be separated. Um, but the reality is, if you go and read the Gospels, during his earthly ministry, Jesus spoke more about money than almost any other topic. I mean, I'm, I'm going to be reading, uh, you know, a few other verses from Matthew chapter 6. Mezen read a couple of verses as well. But so much of that chapter is about money, about finances, and about giving. Um, actually, Jesus spoke more about money than about faith. And you've got to ask yourself, why did he do that? And there are good reasons for that. Um, you see, true discipleship doesn't just affect some part of our lives. True discipleship affects all of our lives. The way that you can know that you're a true disciple of Jesus is that you're not a submarine Christian. You know what a submarine Christian is? You sort of surface on Sunday and you sort of show your face and you're like, beep, beep, you know, you're there, people see you and then you submerge for the rest of the week and, 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 and there's no Christian witness uh, or worship whatsoever. Um, Sunday Christians. But that's not true Christianity. That's not true discipleship. If you're a true disciple of Jesus Christ, it will not only affect you on Sundays. It'll affect you on Monday and Tuesday. It'll affect you at work. It'll affect you at home. It'll affect your whole life. You see, there's this old saying, um, Jesus is either Lord of all or not Lord at all. In other words, you, you cannot just give a part of your life to Jesus. We should not just give a part of your life to Jesus. You should give all of your life to Jesus. And you following Jesus should affect all of your life. And that includes, according to Jesus and the early church, your finances. Um, are you following Jesus in your finances? Do you submit to Jesus in your finances? And, and the reality is, um, for, for many of us, our wallets are the last things that we submit to Jesus. 
we usually, we often submit everything else, and then eventually, you know, when, when the Lord convicts us enough, we eventually submit our wallets and our, um, our financial lives uh, as well. Um, so, I, I think that's a, a real challenge of, of true Christianity and a real test of true Christianity. Do we submit even our finances to Jesus? Do we follow Him even in our finances? Um, so, you know, that's, that's the challenge and encouragement to us. So, uh, if you can just bring up Matthew chapter 6. just want to read there from, from verse 1. It says, Be careful not to practice your righteousness in front of others to be seen by them. If you do, you will have no reward from your Father in heaven. So, when you give to the needy, do not announce it with trumpets as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and on the streets to be honored by others. Truly, I tell you, they have received their, full re- their reward in full. But when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, so that your giving may be in secret. Then your Father, who sees what is done in secret, will reward you. Then verse 19 goes on. Do not store up for yourselves treasure on earth, where moths and vermin destroy, and where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where moths and vermin do not destroy, and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The eye is the lamp of the body. If the, eye, the eyes are healthy, your whole body, if your eyes are healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eyes are unhealthy, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light within you is darkness, how great is that darkness? No one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one or love the other, or else you will be devoted to the one and despise the other. Um, you cannot serve both God and, ma- and money. The, the, the literal um, word there in the, in, in the um, original manuscript is, a, is an Aramaic word called mammon, which means both money and possessions, and was often used to, as the name of the god of finances or, or, or the god of possessions. So, just um, a few things I want to highlight here. Now, I'm not going to do like a whole exegesis of the text that I'm doing. I'm going to do sort of a more uh, a topical, you know, high-level helicopter flight over this topic um, and just share a few things. But just three things that I want to highlight is, number one, the, the danger of money. Number two, the opportunities of money. And then the necessity of, of giving. So, so let's just look at that. So he, he says here... You, he talks about your eyes and, 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 you know, eyes being either light or darkness. In other words, the way that you look at the world is important. And he's talking here in the context of finances. How do you see finances? How do you see God in the area of finances? How do you see the world and how it works? What is your worldview? And, and, and how does finances factor into that? And then he says... There are only two ways, basically, that we implies that there are only two ways that you can relate to money. And, and, and he says, you cannot serve two masters. Either you're going to serve God as master or you're going to serve mammon as master. And, and um, mammon, what Jesus is saying here, and this is the danger of money, mammon competes with God for our devotion. Mammon competes with God for our devotion. Mammon is a God. 
an idol, a false god. And especially in a city like Johannesburg, this is so important. Because if you, if, you, if you think about it, why do people come to Johannesburg? Probably one of the main reasons is to get a good job and earn good money. In fact, I know so many people who say, you know, I'm going to come, you know, to Joburg, you know, maybe for two or three years, stay here, earn some money, get some experience, and then move on. Why did people come to Johannesburg in the first place? Johannesburg is called Igoli, the city of gold, because gold was found here and there was a gold rush. So the, the very founding of the city was on the basis of gain, of money, of mammon. And that means that the culture of the city, we are, I mean, where all people are in danger of serving, having mammon as their master. I think in Johannesburg, we even more so because of the culture of the city, because of the history of the city. Mammon is competing with God for our affection, for our devotion, and for our obedience. And there are many people in the city who serve mammon. For many people, mammon is the God of choice in Johannesburg. And that's a reality. I don't even have to give you examples to prove because you know you work with those people. You see how devotedly they worship at the altar of mammon. Now, don't misunderstand me. I'm not trying to say that work is wrong or any such thing. Adam and Eve worked. Adam and Eve worked in the garden before the fall, before there was sin. Work is noble. Work is good. But who are you working for? If you work for God, God says you must rest. One day in, in seven as an act of trust for him. But if you work for mammon, he's not going to allow you to rest. He's, gonna, he's, he's a slave driver. He's going to force you to, to work a lot more. So here's the principle. Money is a good servant, but a poor master. That's the principle. Money is a good servant, but a poor master. Um, unfortunately, so many people um, fall for money as their master. And, 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 and here's the thing. Um, that means, you know, you cannot serve two masters. You're going to either serve God or you can only serve God or mammon. You cannot serve both. So your money and how you manage it will either be idolatry, where you worship mammon as, as God, or it will be worship, depending on whether money is your master or your servant. Because if money is your master, then whatever you do with your money is going to be idolatry. False worship. But if money is your servant and God is your master, then whatever you do with money is going to be true worship to God. So, I mean, we don't often think about it like that, but the reality is that our finances, it's part of our worship. Every day, the way you handle your finances, the way you manage it, what you spend it on, is part of your worship, or either false worship, worship of mammon, or worship of, of the God of the Bible. One of those two. Those are the only two options. Um, and the problem is mammon is a very insistent master that constantly tries to capture us through threats of punishment and through promises um, of reward. Money will constantly work through greed Promises of reward, if you serve me, I will reward you in the following way by giving you the following things. Or fear, if you don't serve me, 
you won't have enough. You will suffer. And, and, and uh, money, mammon, the god of money, will constantly both drive you through threats and entice you and draw you through promises and, and seduction in many different ways. And let's not pretend as Christians that we are not susceptible to those seductions and to those threats. How often do we worry? Mezen was talking about it in a testimony. How often do we worry about finances? How often do we fall into that greed and that desire for you know, more and more and, and um, it's never enough? So, how, how do you know that you've become a servant of money, of mammon? I'm, I mean, there are many different ways in which you can know. But let me just mention two. One, when you resent giving. If you res- start resent giving to God, if you start feeling uncomfortable about it, if you start feeling angry about it, if you start feeling resentful about it, then you know that you are starting to serve money. Okay? Um, another way is um, if you more gladly and more consistently give of your time and your money to mammon than to God. If you can... I mean, let, let's, let's think about it for a while. Um, so, so, so this is a heart issue. Where, where, you, where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. Who your master is is a heart issue. You know, what's in your heart? What is your heart? What does your heart value most? Um, and if you value God most, I mean, God doesn't require that much of us, for instance, in terms of time, you know. Um, the very least, um, you know, according to the biblical pattern of meeting in big groups and small groups, is say two hours on a Sunday for, for a church service, two hours on a Wednesday for small group, you know, that's a rhythm. So four hours a week. If you start resenting that time that you give to God, but you're quite happy to give 40 hours and much more towards working without, quite gladly, you know, not resentfully, then you know, okay, there's something in my heart that's wrong. Now, obviously, you ought to be able to do the 40 or whatever hours that you do working for God as well. But when you do give your time and your money to God, there should be a gladness in your heart. Even if it costs you something, because it always does cost you something. That's the beauty of, of, of financial giving. It actually does cost you something. But that's, a, that you, that's when you know that it's worship. A sacrifice is only a sacrifice when it's a sacrifice. <laughs> Remember what David said when... when um, uh, when he wanted to do an offering on, on that threshing floor and the, and the guy told him, no, you know, you can have my oxen and you can have the yokes for free. You know, use the yokes to make the fire, slaughter the oxen, sacrifice them. And David said, how can I give to God that which costs me nothing? That's the heart of worship. When you are glad to sacrifice for God, then you know you're a worshiper. Then you know that God is your God, not mammon. But when you start resenting it, when your heart resents it, then you know, oh, something's wrong here. Something's wrong. Okay. So that's the danger of money. Money is a false god. Mammon is a false god. And if it's your master and you, you worship it as a false god, then you cannot serve God as the true God. 
but even though money is a poor master, it is a good servant. Okay, money is a good servant. Money is a great opportunity, actually. And here we come to the opportunity of money. It's actually a great opportunity to worship God and to invest in the kingdom. Okay? So there's only one thing you can do with money, and that's spend it. Okay? You can decide what you spend it on. You can spend it on things that cause it to grow. You can spend it on things that last, or you can spend it on things that don't. You can, in other words, invest it, spend it in a way that's an investment, or you can spend it in ways that are wasteful. Okay? And, and, and here's the thing. When you spend your money, you are spending more than just your... Um, you, you, you're spending the fruit of your time and your labors. Your life, actually. A big part of your life. That's what you're spending. That's what you're investing. Um, and, and in that sense, it's a, it's a, it's a great um, opportunity. Philippians 4, verse 15 to 17. You can just bring that up on the screen. It says, moreover, as you Philippians know, in the early days of your acquaintance with the gospel, when I set out from Macedonia, not one church shared with me in the matter of giving and receiving except you only. For even when I was in Thessalonica, you sent me aid more than once when I was in need. And then listen to what verse 17 says. He says, not that I desire your gift. What I desire is that more be credited to your account. That more be credited to your account. Can you see what, it, what, what Paul is saying here? He's saying here that because you as Philippian Christians invested in the kingdom and in the advancement of the kingdom of God, that financial aid, that financial investment that you made in the church planting and that kind of stuff, whatever happened through the church plant, because you were partnering with me, that growth in the kingdom is credited to your account. It's as though you were with me there planting those, church, those churches, getting those people saved. It's credited to your account. You invest on earth, and it's credited in heaven. I, I think that's an amazing thing. And, and yes, yes, just an amazing principle. This life won't last forever. This world won't last forever. It will pass away. And only the things that you truly and fully dedicate to God will be transferred into eternity. So you can share the gospel with people, and through the gospel they can dedicate their lives to Jesus, get born again, and be transferred from time into eternity, from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light, and they will last forever in heaven. They will become part of the new creation. But the amazing thing is, what Paul says here seems to imply that you can do something similar with your money. Through the gospel and by the grace of God, you can take the money which you earn by the gifts and the time and the energy and the life that God has given you, and you can invest it into the kingdom, and it, in a sense, becomes part of the new creation. Isn't that amazing? So it has eternal significance. Not, so, so just three ways. And now, once again, I'm just, I'm just lightly sort of touching on, on these matters. I'm not going into them in deep way, but I just want to mention three ways in which you can... Um, you know, in which money is an opportunity. It's an opportunity in that we can invest in heaven when we spend on the things of the kingdom like the Philippian Christians did. They spent on, they, they sent aid to Paul when he was doing, you know, planting the church. They invested in the church. 
And, and, and Jesus says, I will build my church. And he was doing it through Paul. And, and they were investing where, where Jesus was working. And, and, and Paul says, it's credited to your account. So you, you in a sense, in, invest on earth, and it's credited in heaven. Okay? Secondly, um, it's an opportunity to worship and value God when you give to Him. So, um, think about this. We spend, when we spend our money on other people, we spend on people that we value. It's a, it's a gesture of love and that we value those people. I mean, that's why uh, a man will buy, say, a ring, you know, for a lady when he asks her to marry her. You know, it's a token showing that I value you. I'm willing to sacrifice for you. I'm willing to spend on you. Okay? So when... When we give to God, we're saying we value God. We, we're saying, Lord, you're important to us. We're willing to sacrifice for you. We're willing to spend on you in that sense. So it's, it's a form of worship, uh, worshiping and valuing God when we do that. And what Paul holds before us as the reason and the motive, what should be our, the, the ultimate motive behind it is the following. He says in... Oh, now I, I don't know if I actually put that, that one up on the screen. Let me just see. Yeah, here we go. Second Corinthians 8 verse 9. Let's listen to this. this is, notice how Paul, we talk in, in this church about living the gospel, loving the people, obeying the Spirit everywhere. Notice how Paul connects the gospel and living the gospel to our financial lives. Listen to this. He says, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though He was rich, Yet, for your sake, he became poor, so that you, by his poverty, might become rich. Can you see how Paul is translating the gospel into financial terms and saying, Jesus sacrificed. He was real. <laughs> I mean, it's a, I love the way the Bible speaks. It, you know, the biblical authors are the masters of understatement. I mean, when it says Jesus was rich, he owned everything. I mean, there are probably stars out there and planets made of diamond, solid diamond, and Jesus owns all of that. We don't know how big the universe is, and Jesus owns all of it, okay? Not just the cattle on a thousand deals, everything, okay? So when it says he was rich, it's a bit of an understatement, okay? And yet he became poor, born in a manger, in a stall somewhere, in a poor family who, when they dedicated him, couldn't sacrifice a, a, a goat or a lamb, they had to sacrifice a, a birds, you know, which was the concession made for poor Jewish families who couldn't afford the sacrifices. He became poor for us so that we can be enriched through his poverty. So when we give to God to show that we value him, we should do it because He has already given so much to us to show how much He values us. No one has ever put more value on you than Jesus by giving His life, His eternal divine life for you to redeem you from your sin and from slavery. That should make you feel good. Does it make you feel good that Jesus has spent so much on you, that God has spent so much. Just think about how much it costs. I mean, we, we dedicated two babies today. Do you think 
that those parents would sacrifice their babies for you to save your life? Do you think those grandparents would do it? <laughs> God did that. He sacrificed His Son for us. Do you realize how much God values you? How much He paid for you? When you really realize that, it's going to e be easy for you to reciprocate that, at least to some extent, and say, but God, I want to give to you as well to show how much I value you. Um, then, also, a third way, so, so when, we, when we give, it's an opportunity to invest in heaven, it's an opportunity to worship and value God, to show how much we worship and value God, and thirdly, to grow in our faith. Because when you give to God, it's an act of faith. It's, you know, any obedience to God is an act of faith. Think about this for a moment. The Bible says six days you shall work and the seventh day you shall rest. Now, it doesn't have to be the Saturday Sabbath, the Jewish Sabbath. Um, you know, under the new covenant, it can be any day. But the principle still stands that you must work, but you must also rest. Now, when you rest, it's an, when you obey God by resting and by coming to church and, and spending time on the things of God, it's an act of faith. When the Israelites every seventh year didn't sow and harvest but allowed the land to rest, it was an act of faith because they were trusting God that those six days or those six years of fruitfulness would actually, God would bless it and cause it to multiply and it would actually mean more than what other people could do in seven days or in seven years of sowing and reaping. So all obedience is an act of faith. So when you give, you are trusting God, you're saying, God... I can use this money for other stuff, but I'm, I'm giving it to you in obedience to you, and I'm trusting that you will take care of me. I'm showing my dependence. In fact, the, it's probably the most practical way to acknowledge, to, to regularly acknowledge your dependence on God and your trust in God. And if you cannot give to God, then you have to ask yourself, how much do you really trust Him? You see, this is where the rubber meets the road. You know, it's very easy to make your Christianity theoretical. But this is where the rubber meets the road. Can you trust God enough to actually give in accordance with His will? Okay, so how, do we, how are we supposed to, in closing, give according to His will? You know, money is not just a danger and opportunity, but giving is also a necessity. Money, you see, because money can be your God or your servant... The most practical way that you can regularly, thing that you can regularly do to make sure that money is not your master but your servant is by regularly giving according to God's will. And by giving, you're saying, God, you are my master and I trust in you for provision and I, I'm going to do with my money, I'm, I'm, I'm going to obey you and I'm going to force my money to obey you as well. My money is not going to be my master, it's going to be my servant, he's going to serve me and I'm going to serve God, so my money is going to serve God as well. Okay, so it's a very practical way. The, the thing is, we were talking about the heart. We know that if, if my, the, the main reason why money sticks to our hands and we cannot give is because it's got hold of our hearts. Okay, and, and the best cure for that is giving. So, so learning to give is a necessary part of our discipleship of Jesus. Jesus gave regularly, the apostles gave regularly. Um, and that's why Jesus says in Matthew chapter 6, not if you give, but 
when you give. He doesn't say if you pray, he says when you pray. He doesn't say if you fast, he says when you fast. So when you give, give in the following uh, way. So giving is, is a necessary part of our discipleship. We need to give in order to have a right relationship with God and money. And, and especially in a city like Joburg where, where greed and consumerism is part of the culture, the way for us to be countercultural and to not worship money, but to not have money as our master but as our servant, and to show the world that money is our servant and not our master is by giving regularly and, and sacrificially. Um, in 2 Corinthians 9 verse 10, this is a, for me a very instructive verse around giving. It says, he who supplies, um, I got it right here, he who supplies bread for food, oh, there's, there's something missing there, sorry, uh, the verse says, he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will supply and multiply your seed um, for sowing and increase the harvest of your righteousness. I don't know why. I cut and pasted, but somehow I cut and pasted wrong. I'm not sure what happened. Um, if, you, if, you don't, if you don't trust me, you can go and, go and look it up in your own Bible. Let me just read it from, from the text here. So that's... Uh, oh, my goodness. Okay, Second Corinthians 9... Verse 10. He who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will supply and multiply your seed for sowing and increasing the harvest of your righteousness. So, uh, just in short, I'm, I'm, there's a lot to say about that. I just want to say one thing. What God gives to you, His provision to you, and much of that comes through your work and your job and your salary and all of that. But His provision to you comes in two forms. Seed and bread. That's what that verse says. God surprised seed to the sower and bread for food, bread to the eater. Okay, and that's a quote from um, Isaiah 55 verse 10. In other words, part of being a Christian is recognizing what, which part of my salary and of what, what God gives me is seed and what part is bread. The bread is to meet my needs and the needs of my family. The seed is to sow. The bread is to eat and the seed is to sow. Okay? Turn to your neighbor and tell them, you're not a budgie. <laughs> tell your neighbor, tell them you're not a budgie. Don't eat your seed. You're not a budgie. <laughs> you see, budgies eat their seed. Christians sow their seed. Okay? And you need to recognize what is seed and what is bread. And then eat the bread and enjoy it and worship God for it. And sow the seed and see what God does with it. Okay? Um, so just three kinds in, in, uh, of, of, of giving that I just want to mention very quickly. Um, this is not an exhaustive list, but this is sort of basic to understanding what giving is. The first form of giving is, is tithing, which is the word tithe literally means 10%. So it's the first 10%. Uh, a well-known scripture about that is in Malachi 3, verse 7 to 10, where it says, where God says to Israel, return to me and I will return to you, says the Lord of hosts. But you say, how shall we return? Will a man rob God? Yet you are robbing me. Uh, but you say, how have we robbed you? In your tithes and contributions. 
You are cursed with a curse, for you have robbed me, the whole nation of you. Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse, that, you, uh, may be, that there may be food in my house, and thereby put me to the test, says the Lord of hosts, if I will not open the windows of heaven for you and pour down for you a blessing until there is no, uh, no more, more need or not enough room to receive it. So just two things I want you to notice there is that God gives everything, 100% of what we gain, th- even through our own efforts, he, because He gave the ability, the, the talents, the life, the energy, the, everything that we used to earn, the health, he gave, he gave all of that to us. So in a sense, all of what we have, God gives to us. And then as a token of our dependence on him, he says, give 10% back to me, just to acknowledge me and that, that you depend on me and that you trust um, in me. And he says specifically, the tithe must come into the storehouse. So um, tithing is not, the, the, second for, the second and third form of giving are offerings and alms. Okay, offerings is what you give over and above your tithe, and that you can give. We will read a scripture about that in a moment. That that you can give wherever you you want to. You can give that in church, but you can also give that outside of church. Alms is specifically giving to the poor. So that first portion of Matthew six that we read, giving to those in need, that is giving alms. Okay, so but but the tithe specifically it says bring it into the storehouse. So tithing is to to the church, you know, and 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 yes, often you know ministries that that are not that are sort of parachurch ministries are unhelpful because they say now give your tithe to us but that's not tithing tithing is specifically the first 10 percent that you give to the church whatever you give to other ministries to other people to the needy whatever that's alms and offerings that's over and above the tithe so don't confuse those um the tithe is um the first ten um, percent, um, and then offerings is what what you give over and above the tithe. In Second Corinthians nine verse seven, it says, "Each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver." Um, notice here, and, and, and this is you know what, what the New Testament here says is, "Give generously. Try to." go even beyond the regulations that are set there. Now, um, there's a lot to say about this, but I, I just want to sort of sum, sum it up here. God loves, God, God doesn't just want us to give. Do you notice that in that scripture? He wants us to be givers. Okay? Just like it says, and you receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and it doesn't say, and you will witness for me, or you will do witnessing. It says, you will be my witnesses. We, we're supposed to be witnesses. We're supposed to be givers. That's supposed to be part of our lifestyle. God, in, in, in John 4, Jesus says, the Father is seeking true worshipers. Not worship, worshipers. It's something that we must be, and out of the being must flow the doing. So in, in terms of giving, we must be givers. And the reason why we must be givers is because God is a giver. Everything we have, God has given to us. Okay? But notice, He doesn't just love givers. He, God loves cheerful givers because He's a cheerful giver. Do you realize that God enjoys giving to you? God doesn't begrudge you all the good things that He has given you. 
He loves giving it to you. He wants you to enjoy it as a blessing from Him. He is a cheerful giver, and therefore He wants us to be cheerful givers. Not grudging givers, but cheerful givers. Okay, and then alms, giving to the needy. I, I read that portion in Matthew 6, verse 3 to 4. Um, you know, the world will often give to the poor as well and to the needy as well, but then announce it to everyone. Look how much we have given. And God says that's not the way to give. Don't give because you want people to see you give. Give because you want God to see you give. You want to please God, not people, not impress people. Um, and, and your right hand, therefore, shouldn't know what your, what your left hand is doing. Now, I just want to close with this. God is the ultimate giver. You will never be able to outgive God. Ever. You can try. There are people in church history who have tried to outgive God and they've all failed dismally and gladly because God has always outgiven His people. God is, is, is always more generous than we are. And, and one of the ways we can honor Him as a generous God is by being as, as generous as we can be ourselves. And, and God, when He gives, He gives sacrificially. And so we should, like David, and like Jesus when He gave Himself for us, we should enjoy the opportunity and delight in the opportunity to be able to sacrifice in order to give to God as well. Father, we just want to thank you, Lord, that you're a good father, that you're a gracious father, that you're a loving father who knows what we need and that provides in everything that we need. And, and Lord, we want to pray that you'll help us to grow in our trust in you, Lord, especially in this area of finances. Lord, and I pray for every one of us who sometimes struggle with anxiety or fear or even greed, Lord, um, that you'll deliver us of that and, and that you'll yeah, Lord, that, that, that you'll show, that, that we'll see, Lord, your faithfulness. Thank you that we have seen your faithfulness. And we pray that we'll see your faithfulness even more in Jesus' name. Lord, I just consecrate every person here to you, Lord God. And I pray, Lord God, that they will experience, Lord, your blessing. And every time that they give, that they'll experience joy in your joy. In Jesus' name. Just bless your saints. And I just send them out with your blessing into a world that needs your blessing so much. Let your blessing overflow from our lives into the lives of those around us. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening to this message from Shofar Joburg. May the grace you receive produce God's greatest glory and your greatest good. For more information and sermons, please visit our website at www.shofar.joburg.com.